Making sure a business thrives is challenging, but sometimes the solution can lie right in the numbers. Uh, specifically, 37,000, 25, and 1. Now, these aren't just figures. They're a gateway to more visibility and decisive control in your business. Let's start with 37,000. That's the amount of businesses who've embraced NetSuite by Oracle, the ultimate cloud financial system revolutionizing accounting, financial management, HR, and beyond. And 25? That's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do everything from accelerating financial closures to slashing operational costs. And every business is unique, making yours the one that matters. NetSuite offers tailored solutions to amplify your key performance indicators, all consolidated within one streamlined platform. Ready to optimize? Download NetSuite's coveted KPI checklist, engineered to elevate your performance consistently, absolutely free. Visit netsuite.com slash cbs now. That's netsuite.com slash cbs. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. morning. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. All too often, we think we know the outcome when life pits those who have against those who don't. Not this morning. From Alison Aubrey, we share a story about the American workplace with an intriguingly happy ending. Your payout is three and a half times your annual pay. Paydays like this don't just happen for American workers. Your payout is five and a half times your annual pay. Until they do. Are you telling me that what you're trying to do is to change the system entirely? That's exactly what we're trying to do. Ahead on Sunday morning, workers and executives create and share the wealth. He's made a name for himself, portraying a variety of ordinary people in the movies and on TV. His latest role is no exception. It's a performance that's earned him an Oscar nod. Ben Mankiewicz is talking with actor Judd Hirsch. Feeling of electricity just run through me, you know? Uh, it's I, fabric softener. <laughs> He's played cabbies, therapists, art is our drug, and eccentric uncles. But Judd Hirsch found his calling here at Coney Island. You wanted to come back here. You yeah. wanted us to see this place. I wanted to remember what made me choose to become an actor. The sweet and surprising journey of Judd Hirsch later on Sunday morning. This week marks one year since Russia invaded Ukraine. A bitter, brutal conflict, the largest ground war in Europe since the Second World War. This morning, we'll take stock of where things stand with David Martin and Charlie Daggett, while Robert Costa is talking with actor Liev Schreiber about his newest role, a crusade 
to help victims of the fighting. For me, uh, I think the real moving stuff is meeting the people and just understanding how similar we are. Plus, remembering Raquel Welch. And more on a Sunday morning for the 19th of February, 2023. And we'll be back in a moment. It's an Illinois company with an unlikely benefactor that's giving new meaning to the expression, sharing the wealth. Here's contributor Allison Aubrey of NPR. You guys ready to get into it? Yeah. Life took a big turn last May in the small town of Arthur, Illinois, for the employees of CHI Overhead Doors. We do have some news, uh, and the news is we found a new owner for the business. Every employee was a co-owner of the company. They'd been told if the business sold at a profit, they'd all get a payday. Now it was actually happening. So if you joined last year, the payout is $40,000. I'm just up front and being all excited. I'm just like, uh, oh my gosh, like we're talking life-changing money now. Production manager Jim Hill joined the company in 2019 and got two and a half times his annual salary. That was, hey Jim, like it's easier to put your kids through college now. Three and a half times your annual pay. The average payout was about $175,000. Longtime employees got even more. The payout is six and a half times. You've never seen people grab their phone to get their calculator out so fast. Wait a minute, I make yeah. $42 an hour times 40 hours a week times 52 weeks a year times four. Holy cow. Yeah. Pick one for daddy. Josh Ryan works as an assembly line supervisor at CHI, along with his wife, Marquita Sanchez, and her mother, Elizabeth Garza. I was excited, and but I was nervous at the same time because I've never had that much money before. My nine-year-old just wanted to know if we could go to Disney. <laughs> and the answer? The answer is yes, we could <laughs> go to Disney. <laughs> Seven years ago, all 800 factory employees were given shares in the company by a surprising new owner, KKR. It's a private equity firm that buys, manages, and eventually sells companies aiming for a big return. The private equity industry has long had a reputation for layoffs and cost-cutting. This is our global headquarters here in Hudson Yards. But KKR partner Pete Stavros wants his industry to adopt a new model that gives every employee a small ownership stake. I think it's a superior way to operate a business in every respect. It is better for workers, it's better for companies and corporate cultures, and in the end, it delivers better results. So far, Stavros has overseen seven ownership payouts. 14 months of annual pay. I think a lot of people watching are skeptical. Are you telling me that what you're trying to do is to change the system entirely? That's exactly what we're trying to do. Talking to you, I kind of feel like Sounds a little bit more like Bernie Sanders <laughs> than a private equity executive. <laughs> it always helps growing up in a family where your dad was a construction worker, so you understand both sides of it. Watching Harry Stavros build roads for four decades is where his son saw a capitalist's opportunity. So my dad used to talk about the need to just work steady, not too fast, 
not too slow to get in trouble, but just steady. So he was incentivized to be inefficient. Absolutely. If you're an hourly worker, more hours means more pay. And so you want to incentivize workers because you think it will help the bottom line? they will be more engaged on the job, less likely to quit, and it's gonna to lead to better performance for the company. So productivity will go up. But Stavros says it isn't all about ownership. Employees also need a voice. As co-owners, workers at CHI voted in air conditioning, a new cafeteria, and an on-site health clinic. That philosophy is now being tested here at Charter Next Generation. We're making films that are used in food products, primarily. A plastics packaging company KKR bought in 2021. Kathy Bullhouse is CEO. We're going to have to figure out how to get employees to really understand that how their day-to-day -day actions translate into long-term results. Any potential payout is still years away, and only if profits go up. This is a scrap bend. She says cutting scrap by just 1% would bring $10 million in additional profit. So this is inefficiency right here. This is waste. This is profit. The collective pursuit of profit means problem solving spans the corner office to this Ohio factory floor. Who owns this company? We own this company. Charles Marlowe is a plant training coordinator. That's still a strong sale. Okay, nice. I have this certificate. So you have 3,730 shares. It's pretty cool, to be honest. I never would have thought that I would be an owner. Shares are tied to each employee's position and years on the job. If profits go up, so too does the value of these shares and the size of that potential payday. I wasn't supposed to be in the place that I'm in right now. What do you mean not supposed to be? Born into poverty. There was no home-cooked meals. It was Doritos and beef jerky. Getting that certificate, I'm finally on the end. In 2021, Pete Stavros created a nonprofit called Ownership Works to expand this model across the industry. And you think this would chip away at the wealth gap? This will help. Is it going to solve all our problems? Absolutely not but it, it, it's a step in the right direction. Yes, private equity will still keep the lion's share of profits of any sale, but for the almost 12 million Americans who work for private equity-owned companies, it could mean billions in wealth. Just ask the employees back in Arthur, Illinois. Do you feel like you've gotten your fair share here? I mean, I probably got more than my fair share. And the truth is this, companies are bought and sold every day in the United States. And guys like me and, and ladies like her and her don't get any of the money. The payday for most workers was not enough to retire. But for Jim Hill and so many others, it's brought some financial peace of mind. I got three kids, a house, cars, my wife that loves me. You know, I've got everything I've ever wanted in life. So that's the American dream. Your you sweat know, equity paid off. My sweat equity paid off hundredfold. So, can't put that into words. Just smiles. <laughs> Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. 
Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, Every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. One year on, the war in Ukraine is at a stalemate, the brutal fight exposing Russia's surprising weakness against the strength and resolve of the Ukrainian people. We have two reports. David Martin will be along shortly, but to begin, here's Charlie Daggett. 12 months of bloodshed following a full-scale Russian invasion, tens of thousands of troops killed on both sides with two determined leaders, each promising victory for their side. A David and Goliath conflict dragging on and on. And yet life in Ukraine after a year of war depends entirely on where Ukrainians are trying to live it. Russia failed to capture the capital, Kyiv, where those who haven't fled are trying to carry on as normal. Many families who escaped in the early days have since returned. The war that's created 8 million Ukrainian refugees is never far. And sometimes very near. Everywhere is in missile range. One of the first strikes in Kyiv slammed into a high rise. We rushed to the scene when it happened to report on the damage. We returned a year later to find the giant scar outside the building now healed, but where we met Tatiana Leschuk, a lawyer in Kyiv. This room was destroyed, destroyed completely. completely. But her anxious daughter got up early that Saturday morning. They were in the hallway when the missile hit. I think it's, it's, it's God. Save her and save me and save my husband. It was very scared for me. Well, it's brave to come back. Uh, thank you. I want to live in my country because it's, it's my home. Travel further east and the landscape changes dramatically. More evidence of a country in the grip of the biggest and bloodiest military confrontation in Europe since World War II. There's more of a military presence, more checkpoints, much more damage. And on some parts of the front line where we went this past week, the fighting, the incoming and outgoing artillery never ceases. The troops here are getting nervous because there may be a drone flying overhead. The sound of explosions has been nonstop in this last village under Ukrainian control. Ukraine's second city of Kharkiv is within easy range of Russian rockets. And the war feels closer 
because it is. Yet even here, people refuse to stop living. Then there are the countless towns and villages like this along the front line or what used to be the front line, now virtually deserted, showing widespread destruction. First, from when the Russians invaded, then when the Ukrainians forced them out. Raisa Fativa was one of only a few hundred people who stayed in this village east of Kharkiv. She described waking up one morning to find Russian soldiers in the street taking up positions around her home. That must have been terrifying. What was going through your mind? I don't even know how to describe it, she said. It was very tough, very scary. There was no gas, no power. We were thinking of how we were going to stay alive. Fatima showed us the tiny cellar where she and her son took shelter during the fighting. I had a mattress here where I slept, she told us. She said the worst of it came when Russian soldiers withdrew and began to bombard the neighborhoods when Ukrainian troops moved in. Fighting blew out her windows, tore shrapnel throughout her property in a battle that waged for months. So what is life like now here? I can say we live well, but I want it all to end, for there to be peace, so there's no more shelling, because that was very scary. For now, they're surviving largely on humanitarian aid. At least they have their home and their freedom. Those Ukrainians living under Russian occupation have even less. This is David Martin. Armed with billions of dollars of American weapons, Ukraine has fought the Russians to a standstill. But Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says that's not good enough. The Ukrainians feel, and I agree with this, that uh, they need to conduct an offensive to change the dynamics on a battlefield. So we can expect a Ukrainian offensive? I think we can expect uh, an offensive uh, in the spring. The first year of war has been a debacle for Vladimir Putin. But unless Ukraine can drive Russian troops back from their entrenched positions, he will keep fighting. What will stop the war, in my opinion, the only thing that will stop the war is if he becomes convinced that he can't win. CBS News consultant John Sullivan was the U.S. ambassador in Moscow at the start of the war. He watched as sanctions imposed by the Biden administration hit the Russian economy. Are sanctions causing a level of pain that he can't live with? Absolutely not. Their view is they can endure anything. They have, the Russian people have endured anything. It's a point of pride for Putin. Is this war at all becoming unpopular? In Russia, In among Russia. Russians, uh, no. What I saw when I was there was uh, a people that had been prepared over decades to believe the worst of the United States. American defense plants are doing their best to forge weapons being used to kill Russians in Ukraine. This ammunition plant in Scranton, Pennsylvania, is turning out artillery shells as fast as it can. Artillery ammunition and everything that goes with it is probably our, our number one effort. Douglas Bush is the U.S. Army's chief weapons buyer. Why is artillery your number one priority? It's the most in demand because they're fighting a conflict without an air force, essentially. All of their fire support is from artillery. So they're using it at rates that exceed, for example, how we would fight. How many are they firing a day? 
depending on uh, the day, sometimes between three and 5,000. Does the U.S. make that many artillery shells a day? So that exceeds what we make on a given day, which is why we're dramatically increasing our production rates. The U.S. has already rushed more than a million artillery shells and nearly 40 long-range rocket systems into a war that has become an artillery duel between two dug-in armies, each side trying to exhaust the other. The Russians have had, uh, you know, enormous stockpiles of art artillery munitions uh, over the years, and uh, they've depleted those stockpiles in a major way. We see them reaching out to countries like North Korea and Iran uh, for additional munitions. Uh, that tells us that they, they are hurting uh, in a major way. But even with the backing of the American defense industry, Volodymyr Zelensky cannot count on outlasting Russia, which has three times the population. So the U.S. is now shipping Bradley infantry fighting vehicles to the battle. What you're seeing are current efforts to support them with more offensive capability on the ground, an ability to maneuver under fire. 100 Bradleys armed with a rapid-fire cannon and anti-tank missiles are on their way to Ukraine, along with tanks promised by 10 other countries. Still, if Russian soldiers stand and fight, Ukraine will be hard-pressed to break through their elaborate network of trenches and tank traps. Now Russia is really dug in three deep. They're dug in across a, a, a wide area. They can't perfectly defend every inch of that. And the way that this fight goes will depend upon uh, the Ukrainians. Is this war only going to get bloodier? It's pretty bloody right now. I think we have to remember, David, that every day there are Ukrainians that are dying. And every day, Putin throws more untrained and poorly equipped soldiers into places like Bakhmut, where 4,500 Russians have been killed for little gain. And that's just a fraction of their overall losses. 200,000, according to uh, Western military estimates, killed or wounded to date. That's an extraordinary number. Compared to what Putin's prepared to sacrifice, a fraction of, of that. So bottom line, can Russia keep up this meat grinder style of war? Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but the, the answer is yes. He is all in and he's not quitting. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike and even stack sales on top of cashback. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or a check. 
The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. The book is an anti-war classic that in 1930 became an award-winning movie. Now, All Quiet on the Western Front is back, offering striking parallels to the current fighting in Ukraine. With Mark Phillips, we take a closer look. You wouldn't have thought a book that has sold more than 40 million copies and been made into a movie twice before would need another remake. I wanted to make the experience as physical or visceral as possible for you. Director Edward Berger's new version of All Quiet on the Western Front has come at a time when the world doesn't need more vividly manufactured war scenes on its screens. It's getting plenty of the real thing from the war in Ukraine which is also proving again that the lessons of history are rarely learned. That may be good enough reason for a refresher course. The Netflix version is so effectively done, it's been nominated for nine Academy Awards, including Edward Berger for Best Director. So we really try to put you into the shoes of of these kids underneath it to really feel that panic and the vibrating ground. All quiet on the Western Front follows German soldiers descending into the hell of the trenches of the First World War. It's still considered amongst the most powerful anti-war stories ever written. The original book by German First World War veteran Eric Maria Remarque was an immediate sensation when it was published in 1929. But it was also controversial. The Nazis considered it so defeatist and un-German, they banned it and burned it when they came to power. The first film version, which came out of Hollywood in 1930, is a classic that won Oscars for Best Picture and Best Director. And a 1979 made-for-TV version, which ran on CBS, won a Golden Globe and an Emmy. The brutal battle scenes in the current version, Berger says, are there for a reason. We didn't want to make a violent uh, movie for violence sake. We wanted to make a movie that grabs you by the lapel, drags you through the mud, and gives you the feeling, the very subjective feeling. In my opinion, it has to be violent and brutal to the edge, because everything else would be propaganda. But the fact that a movie about war is now so topical is mostly an accident. The project actually began three years ago, well before Vladimir Putin's army rolled into Ukraine. Although Berger says he did feel at the time that trouble in some form was coming. And the why now was mostly motivated by a feeling that we had when we watched what happened in parliaments around the world, in America, with the administration, Brexit, Orban in Hungary, in Germany, a, a far-right uh, party rising again. You just thought things were in general decline and it was time to remind people of things? Well, there was general antagonism. 
The politics may have been different then, but there are plenty of parallels between the First World War and the current war in Ukraine. The main character in All Quiet on the Western Front is Paul Boimer, a German teenager caught up in the nationalistic fervor that sent millions of kids to the front. Kids who were told it would all be over soon. But it's a story of almost instant disillusionment. In the Imperial War Museum in London, they've reconstructed a First World War trench, which is where we met Felix Kammerer, who plays Paul Boimer. It's his first ever role in front of a camera. Frankly, you don't look like the war hero type. Do you think you were kind of cast against type in this, in this movie? We were not aiming for a war hero. We were aiming for a very usual, you know, a very common boy. Um, from whose perspective we could look. And it's really about a boy that is like millions of others at that time and nowadays too. And nowadays it's clear again the so-called war to end all wars didn't. Is it all the more relevant because Europe's back at war? I can see that there are parallels. You know, we see film footage of Ukrainians in trenches and uh, they are sort of sheltering from artillery, which of course is a big feature of the First World War. Sarah Patterson is a curator at the British War Museum. Is there a moral role for films like this revisiting some of the great military tragedies of, of our time? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's great that we are talking about this now. And I think, you know, we are supposed to learn from history, even if it doesn't actually happen quite like that in, in real life, sadly, as we see in, in Europe today. In the end, though, it's just a movie and can only do so much. Of course, you, you are baffled and you are shocked that something like this can happen again and again and again. But at the same time, it just shows the relevance once again of this film that we can't just stop thinking about war as a topic and war as a reality because we we seem to just not getting any any cleverer we just keep doing the same mistakes for thousands and thousands of years was the essence of style, sex appeal, and Hollywood glamour. Raquel Welch died Wednesday after a brief illness at the age of 82. Born in Chicago to a Bolivian father and English-American mother, Welch began performing at age seven after the family moved to California. By 19, she was on television, reporting the weather at a local TV station. Her big Hollywood break came in 1966 with the sci-fi thriller Fantastic Voyage. But what guaranteed her fame was this moment in the film One Million Years B.C., forever captured in a classic poster. Never a darling of the critics, Welch finally found acclaim in 1975. Do you think I will be safe here? winning a Golden Globe for her role in The Three Musketeers. 
Which is not to say Raquel Welch was strictly serious. Here she is on a classic episode of Seinfeld. If you bring it up again, I'll feed your genitals to a wolf. In 1998, Playboy magazine named Raquel Welch the third sexiest female star of the 20th century, along with Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield. Welch was married and divorced four times and last appeared in a movie at the age of 77. Her legacy long established, a legacy that included her staunch refusal to do nude scenes in any of the more than 30 films and 50 TV shows she appeared in in a half-century career. Style, she once said, has to have substance, and Raquel Welch had both. And just a few days ago, we lost a member of our Sunday morning family, Bob Pook, Sunday morning's longtime art director. Pook, as we all called him, was a made-for-television original. He was there from the first at NBC's Saturday Night Live, spent time at the Dave Letterman Show, and finally, for more than a decade, was here at Sunday Morning. Creative, cantankerous, and incomparable artist, colorful character, utterly and completely one of a kind. Our Bob Pook was 74. We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com/cbs to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So, if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/cbs and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Actor Judd Hirsch is up for an Oscar next month for his performance in Steven Spielberg's autobiographical film, The Fablemans. He tells our Ben Mankiewicz it all began in Brooklyn 
as a kid with dreams worthy of the movies. On a warm winter day, Judd Hirsch returned to Coney Island. The first time he was here, more than 80 years ago. What's the same now? There's only three things that are the same. Yeah. <laughs> there's the cyclone. Yeah, over there. And there's uh, the wonder wheel. Right, right there. And there's the parachute jump. As a kid, Hirsch went on all the rides. But this is more than an amusement park to Hirsch. It's the place that changed his life. If you look across the ocean, you could, you could be anybody. You could be anybody if you walk on this boardwalk. All I knew was I didn't want to be what I was. Who he was is a long way from who Judd Hirsch is now. 87 years old, he's perfected the art of turning the everyman into someone extraordinary. You're here and you're alive. And don't tell me you don't feel that. The only thing I'm going to do is be truthful. I'll play what I think is the most truthful thing about the character. That's all I can do. That's rather presumptuous, don't you think? It is, sir. Whatever truth Hirsch finds in his characters is working. He's made his living as an actor for close to 60 years. A Tony Award winner on stage, a TV fixture for decades. Dear John, Hi. Numbers, and two lead actor Emmys as Alex Rieger in Taxi. The difficult thing is to make people feel good about their lives. Humiliating them, that's simple. I'll show you how simple it is here. Take a look at this. Simple, huh? <laughs> During Taxi's run, Hirsch went Hollywood working for director Robert Redford on Ordinary People, earning a Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination. Bad things happen even when people are, Kev. 42 years later, he's nominated again, this time for director Steven Spielberg in The Fablements. Yeah, yeah. Believe me, Sammy boy, I get it. Family, art. <laughs> It'll tear you in two. The pride I took in being in this movie was greater than any that I've ever had to be in any other movie. I had to, to bring it, be him, all by myself. He's been doing it by himself since the beginning. The son of European immigrants, Hirsch was born into poverty, bouncing from apartment to apartment in the Bronx, then Brooklyn. We didn't have it easy. I mean, my mother and father split when I was two. Didn't come back until five years later. So we lived in basements, furnished rooms, uh, rooming houses. At college, Hirsch was well on his way to becoming an engineer, just one semester to go. But his circuits weren't connecting. So you're really nearly done, and you thought, I don't want to do this. Three and a half years to a, to a four-year degree and dropped everything. It was like a little, little voice saying, you want to be happy? Or do you want to... Be the same guy you've been all this time, right? That little voice pushed him to try something creative, to be an artist, a performer. Nobody in my family came from the theater. Nobody in my family came from, from this industry. I didn't know what acting was. All I knew was if they convinced me that they could make me feel something, whether it's funny or... I, then I would love to know how they do that. How do they do that? Hirsch dedicated himself to answering that question. He took acting classes, getting his first paying gig in the Broadway production of Barefoot in the Park. When I got that job, when I, I, I never stopped. That was in 1966, and to this day, I have never not worked in any year. When you see a costume, jump. 
Yes, Rose. Hirsch landed some commercials. He had this comforting familiarity to him. Good morning, CWA. <laughs> Rose, I told you never to call me here. The ads led to small parts in movies and eventually a big break, an offer to be the voice of reason in a new television series about quirky New York cabbies. He had no interest in it. My agent had said, do you want to do this? Uh, and I read it, and I didn't really want to go to television. I make him an offer they can't accept. What he said was, put my name before the show's title. They'd never go for it. Problem was, they did. Hirsch has fond memories of Taxi and its cast, including the legendarily, let's just say complicated, Andy Kaufman, who Hirsch simplifies in five words. He was a sweet man. This is a wonderful place to work. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, by the way, I wanted to play that part. You wanted to play Lock? Yes. Thank you very much. Fast forward four decades. Thanks to Steven Spielberg, Hirsch got the chance to play an eccentric immigrant with a thick accent. You see, what she got in her heart is what you got, what I got. Art. Like me, like you, I think. We're junkies. And art is our drug. So Steven Spielberg calls me up and says, um, uh, I need someone as this part of the guy who made me become a director. He said, it's an old uncle. Great uncle. So I'm going, okay. No background. Nothing, nothing, nothing. With a blank canvas, Hirsch thought back to his days growing up under the shadow of the Wonder Wheel. If you're not going to describe this guy, you know, and he expects that I'm going to be like him, okay, let me take my experience. Let's stick it in there. The only one I had was Coney Island. And his experiences here, as a boy, helped him find Uncle Boris in the Fablements. To me, this was the circus around the corner. It really was a circus. The part they played in Fablements, I think, brought the whole thing out. No, sticking your head at the mouth of lions was balls. Making sure the lion don't eat my head, that is art. You wanted to come back here. You yeah. wanted us to see this place. I wanted to remember what made me choose somewhere to become an actor. And you think it was here? Yeah. It started here? Yeah, it had to. From a kid on the cyclone to a second Oscar nomination, Judd Hirsch's road has been long, and there are still more miles to travel. I'm just starting. If I want to do this, what's next? I mean, really, what's next? Actor Liev Schreiber had a hit TV series with the show Ray Donovan, the story of a fixer who made the problems of his wealthy clients disappear. Now, as he tells Robert Costa, He's tackling the real-life problems of Ukraine's most vulnerable. Liev Schreiber has walked many a red carpet, but walking one recently in Washington, D.C., and working the room as an advocate for Ukraine uh, our idea is felt different. Ironically, I'm, I'm not really good in front of the cameras without a script, but I'm very grateful that my celebrity has afforded me an opportunity to give something back. Giving back for the 55-year-old actor, known for playing Hollywood fixer Ray Donovan, 
on our sister network Showtime began a year ago with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I think like a lot of Americans, I was on my couch watching the war unfold on television. When a friend called with an idea, live stream conversations with Ukrainians from the front, Schreiber was blunt in response, no. I was in a bad mood and I told him, look, if you really want to help the Ukrainians, just send them some money and hung up. And um, a couple of guys who have about 30 years of experience in the humanitarian aid world called me back and they said, how serious were you about that idea? And I said, what idea? And they said, supporting Ukraine. And it was that moment where I could say yes or no. And I decided that I would say yes and see where it led. Schreiber's decision to do something and not just speak out led him to co-found Blue Check Ukraine, which vets and raises funds for NGOs, non-governmental organizations, on the ground. What was important to us was to make Americans feel safe, to find a way that their dollars could go directly to NGOs on the ground who were doing the work to provide humanitarian aid. We're crossing the border of Poland and Ukraine. Schreiber himself visited the country twice last year, and he's met with President Volodymyr Zelensky. But he says his mission isn't about politics, which he tries to avoid. It's about the people. For me, uh, I think the real moving stuff is meeting the people and just understanding how similar we are. What do they say to you? They say thank you, (laughs) which is also incredibly moving because I don't feel like I've done anything. Uh, And then it compels you to do more because you want to be deserving of that gratitude. And it's the stories of gratitude Shriver wants to highlight, like Pavlo Sholga of the NGO KidSave, which helped evacuate more than 10,000 women and children in three months last year. During a meeting, Sholga shared an especially touching moment. And the translator tells me that what Pavlo's saying is that the reason he's so emotional right now is because he heard that this kid had a bake sale and raised $68 selling dog biscuits and sent it directly to him. And he's just floored by the fact that some little kid in America would care about him. What's it like to witness courage? Yolanta, nice to meet you. I went to meet an extraordinary woman named Yolanta Prashalik, who runs the Lviv Philharmonic. Overnight, she turned this 70-person orchestra into an aid distribution hub. And I asked Yolanta, what would you say to people who are considering supporting Ukraine? It wasn't a strategic remark, because I could tell that she had an experience of what was important. And for many Americans, it can seem like it's all over there, and it's a policy debate. But you keep coming back to the humanity of the people there. It is important that we think about this as as a humanitarian crisis, that we're trying to stop a genocide. Schreiber's passion stems partially from his own family's history. His grandfather emigrated from Ukraine. Schreiber also wrote and directed Everything is Illuminated, where the central character visits the country in search of his ancestral ties. For nearly three decades at least, you keep going back to the past, wondering about Ukraine, your roots. What drives that? Yeah, I think it has more to do with my sense of what it is to be American than what it is to be Ukrainian, our democracy. Our system of governance is one that I'm hugely proud of. And that's why I think it's so important that we continue to support, uh, to be aware of what's happening in Ukraine. 
a year in, you're as involved as anyone in activism and awareness in this issue. Are Americans aware enough of what's happening? I hope so. I think every little bit helps. I think, you know, if you stop to think about uh, you're not having any impact, what's the point? Are you hopeful? I am very hopeful. In fact, I'm convinced they're going to win. What gives you that conviction? Truth. You know, that's the, the truth is on their side. Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning. I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.